Good evening and welcome to another episode of Hitting for the Cycle. I'm your host, Hank and Dichter, and I'm really excited. We got a lot to talk about today. A lot of big games happened this week in the MLB. And of course, as we know, today is a very special and very important day in baseball history. It is the 74th anniversary of Jackie Robinson's major league league debut, hence why I'm wearing this Brooklyn Dodgers cap right here, as you can see. But first, before we get into anything else, I'd like to encourage you guys, please give us a follow on all forms of social media at Review and Preview Sports. And in addition, give us a subscription to our YouTube channel as well. Now, in addition, we also have another guest coming on later today. Ben Cruz will be coming along to talk about his Boston Red Sox and their surprising streak to to the top of the MLB. But first, a little bit about baseball history, and let's talk about the impact that Jackie Robinson had in the major leagues. So on August 28, 1945, Branch Rickey called Jackie Robinson in to meet up with him to discuss the possibility of breaking the color barrier of major league baseball. Now, previous prior to this, Jackie Robinson actually had a tryout with the Boston Red Sox that not, not everybody knows about this. He did well in this showing at Fenway park, but of course, as we know, in history, the Red Sox, did not return a letter or give him any call telling him he was going to team. So this pretty much enabled Branch Rickey to meet up with him. And Ricky that day hurled a lot of insults and mean things toward his face. And this was basically a test to tell Jackie Robinson, you're going to be dealing with a lot of mean things coming up to the major leagues. And there's going to be a lot of scrutiny. Can you handle it? And, and Jackie Robinson basically asked him, am I, do you want somebody who's not strong enough to fight back? And in response, Ricky told him, no, I want somebody with the courage not to fight back, which as it turned out was critical. And he would make his major league debut April 15th, 1947 against the Boston Braves. And although he did not get a hit that day, he would reach base. And I believe he scored the winning run in that game. And obviously what we know about Jackie Robinson is he became a big pioneer in the game of baseball. And, True, true to Ricky's word, he did face a lot of backlash. Even his own teammates at the beginning of the season, not all of them, but a good fraction of them created a petition to try to keep him out of the team o- overall. And, of course, he faced a lot of extremely cruel insults from opposing teams. Most notably, this came from the Philadelphia Phillies and their manager, Ben Chapman, who encouraged his players to spew all the dirty insults in the world toward his direction and... Not to mention 
the St. Louis Cardinals also threatened to to go on a strike to make sure they don't want to play a game on the same field with Jackie Robinson. But of course, a lot of people put a stop to this. Ford Frick, the president of the AL, threatened the Cardinals that a lot of the players would be banned for life and blackballed if they didn't comply and get used to seeing Jackie Robinson in the big leagues. So thankfully, of course, Jackie Robinson was able to keep his cool despite a lot of extremely tough circumstances, not just from like his opposing players, but of course, many fans too. They sent him death threats. They, they did not want to see him playing, but in the end, Jackie Robinson, despite a struggle at the beginning, he finished his rookie season with a 297 batting average, 12 home runs and 48 RBIs. And he won what was the first ever rookie of the year award in major league baseball. And, Ever since then, to show you what an impact he's made, it's been renamed in his honor. And to give you an idea of how good good he was, whenever he got on base, most pitchers were afraid to like, were got really nervous because they knew that he was fast and they knew that he had a propensity for stealing bases at any given moment in a game. So when a, when a, when he was on first base, a pitcher would probably check back and forth to make sure he didn't steal or didn't get picked off and course, Jackie would go on to do his thing. And as it turned out, his signature season in 1949, he batted 342. That was his only batting title in his career. 16 home runs, 124 RBIs, and he had 37 stolen bases. He made six all-star appearances, which is pretty much more than half his career. And not to mention, he stole home 20 times. And one of those steals of home was in game one of the 1955 world series. If you ever watch the famous highlight of that game, you'll see he's dancing off third The Yankee pitcher is about to throw to home plate. And then Jackie goes dashing towards home. He steals it. And Yogi up until he died in 2015 would argue for the rest of his life that Jackie Robinson was out at home plate. But obviously we know the umpire called him safe. There was no replay. So and in the end, it doesn't really matter because it, it just shows you how, how great of a player he was. And fittingly, he that was also the year that he won his first and only World Series because the Dodgers for so many years would come up short against the uh, Yankees for many years, and they even would lose pennants in 1950 and 51. 1950 to the WizKid Phillies, and 1951 obviously was the shot heard around the world against the New York Giants. And Tom has a comment right here, number 42, I wish the Mets were playing today. Yeah, I, I wish the Yankees were playing too. And um, here's a comment from my mom. Thank you for selling Jackie Romp today. Well, mom, no problem. I think he's a guy that is very much worth celebrating. And after Jackie's death in 1972, there have been plenty of tributes for him over the years. Like in 1997, the 50th anniversary of his debut, every single made it was announced that every single t- team would retire the number 42. That means no team would be allowed to wear it. However, there were three active major league players at the time that were still wearing it. One of them was Butch Husky of the New York Mets, Mo Vaughn of the Boston Red Sox, who, I, who interestingly enough, would join the Mets at the end of his career. And then, of course, you have my guy, Mariano Rivera, the last player to ever wear the number 42 in a major league baseball game. And you know what? When you consider Jackie Robinson and the career he had, when you consider how Mariano was and with his mannerisms, I guess you could say it's only fitting that Mariano was able to wear it. And I'm sure Jackie would have really loved seeing him, a guy like him wearing his number, even if he happened to play for his hated Yankees. But 
anyways, Jackie Robinson is a player we should all be thankful for. He made a lot of strides to change the game for what was really an awful history of racism up until that. And there have been many black players that have come into the league since then that have been appreciative of Jackie Robinson and all he did to make everything possible. And it to say that it was import, an important step in the right direction for Major League Baseball would be the understatement of the year. So obviously, like I said, thank you, Jackie Robinson, for everything. And now let me talk. Let's get into the local teams without further ado. We got the Yankees having a really tough road trip to start off to start off uh, the this week of the season. They went to Tampa Bay, where obviously you remember in the playoffs, the Rays took two out of three from them in the division series. And here's a and here's a stat that's really not that great. Up coming into the series, the Yankees starters ERA, not named Garrett Cole, obviously is five is uh, five twenty eight. Whereas Garrett Cole in his twelve innings pitch, he has a one forty nine ERA. It kind of tells you how one-sided this pitching rotation is. And um, to give you an idea, in the first game, Corey Kluber only lasted two and a third innings. And he came into the third with a four to two lead, but he put a lot of runners on base and he allowed one or guy to score. And the Rays cut it to one. And then Nick Nelson came in. And unfortunately, he was not able to clean up the mess. He gave up a, he gave up an RBI double to Joey Wendell with the bases loaded. That would give the, the Rays the lead. And then of course, the next inning, the Rays would load the bases again and upstep Brett Lau or Brandon Lau rather, and he hit a bases clearing double that pretty much put the nail in the coffin. The Yankees really were unable to cover in this game. They lost by a final score of ten to five. And in the second game, Domingo Herman had his second start of the season, and I don't know how many starts we'll see from him again this year. He basically would give up a leadoff home run to Austin Meadows and. Unfortunately, a few innings later, he botched a ground ball that probably could have been either a fielder's choice of a double play. And as a result, the Rays were able to score a few more runs. And while it wasn't entirely his fault because the Yankees offense didn't really do anything to help matters either, he was owned to and the Yankees decided quickly to to send him to the alternate location, which personally, I'm not. I'm not too upset about this personally because we know about Domingo Herman's backstory. I don't really want to get into that. It's pretty bad, but you know, it was a brutal stretch and the Yankees needed game three to salvage the series. And it took a while for the offense to generate. I mean, Gio Urshela did hit a big home run in the fourth inning to give the Yankees the lead, but then Jordan Montgomery would quickly give that back. And by the eighth inning, they were still trailing by one. However, Glaber Torres got his first hit with runners in scoring position this season. Before that, he was 0 for 6 with five strikeouts, so that was much needed. Tied the game for the Yankees, and in the 10th inning, Rufnet Odor, in what was his, I believe it was his first game as a Yankee, drove in the go-ahead run with an RBI single in the 10th inning, and then Gio Urshela would end up hitting a bases-clearing single that would where he would go to third because the right fielder completely missed out on the ball and he would be air. Gio in this game actually was was a triple A AAA from hitting for the show's namesake, hitting for the cycle. But as a result, the Yankees got the game they needed. Garrett Cole in game one of the Toronto series. Now, although the Blue Jays we know play in Canada, they couldn't go, they couldn't go to the Blue Jays normal park because for one thing, Canada isn't allowing their teams to play due to the COVID rules and restrictions. So, and because Buffalo, the or because the Buffalo team that had them 
in that series had to work on their stadium. The Blue Jays had to stick to their spring training home in Dunedin. I think it's Dunedin, Florida. So the Yankees would go there. Garrett Cole pitched extremely well in the first game. Only gave up one run on three hits, eight strikeouts in six innings. And fortunately, he got a pair of home runs from Kyle Higashioka. So that gave him the win. And uh, we got a comment from Tom here. I'm expecting the Yanks to explode in a good way very, very soon. I am too. We know that this lineup is very capable of scoring more runs on any given night. But unfortunately, that's the nature of this lineup. It's very feast or famine. But given the... Given the competition we have in the American League, I wouldn't be surprised either. Thank you for the comment, Tom. And by the way, for those of you who are watching, please give us a comment down below. We'd be more than happy to hear your thoughts and your opinions on the Yankees and other things going on around baseball. So anyways, back to the Yankee series. Game two, Jamison Tyon had a rough outing. He allowed a home run to Roddy Telez, which turned out to be his first hit in the season. And Bo Bichette and Vlad Jr. had multi- multi-hit games and... It, it, the Yankees, while well, the Yankees did score three runs later on in this game, it was obviously not enough. They would wound up losing this game. And then we get to the rubber game. And unfortunately, this was a killer. The Blue Jays did take a 3-1 lead. They had home runs by Christian Chirk and Bo Bichette. But the Yankees, of course, would fight back. Aaron Judge hit two home runs in this game, both of them solo. But they would also take a fourth three lead on a two RBI single by Gio Rochelle, who, by the way, has been one of the more clutch hitters in this game. He has been, I've, I've often thought of this guy as an unsung hero. He's really one of the few Yankee hitters that you don't really see trying to go for the home run. And it's someone that can get flat out hit anywhere to all fields. But anyways, the sixth inning of course was where the game would start to unravel. You had the bases loaded. Jonathan Wise came in to relieve Corey Pluber who pitched much better in this game. But of course, after allowing a few runs and obviously I think the Yankees wanted to like be careful with his innings limit. I think that's probably why they put in the wise guy and he was good his last outing, but unfortunately after loading the bases, he allowed the game tying run to score on a wild pitch and Bo Bichette in the ninth inning would hit his, the second home run of the game. He would walk it off. Blue Jays would take two out of three. And, you know, looking at the Yankees so far, I'm not really too surprised that they're, they've started off the way they have because we know that the Yankees, if you look the past few years, 2017, and they went 1-4 and four to start the season, which incidentally was also the same starting record as the 98 Yankees. 20, 2019, they also started off on the exact same record. I think they were also 5-7 and seven to start the season. And then 2018, they were 6-6. Six, six and six. So the Yankees don't usually have, have the best starts. Now, make that a, make that with you will. I'm also going to play devil's advocate and tell you why these losses can come back to hurt. Because you look at the division, and as my aunt says right here, likes to trash talk me talking about the Red Sox. The Red Sox are emerging as a big threat this year. And the Rays, you know, even though they're not quite as good as they were last year, you know that they have guys like Austin Meadows who can absolutely hit. And if Randy Rosarena hits the way he did in the playoffs last year, He's another beast in that lineup. And the real threat, in my opinion, of course, is the Toronto Blue Jays, because once George Springer comes back, that is a team that can hit the ball to all fields. They don't really rely on the home run. And you have Hunjin Ryu, who pitched well in game two, by the way. He is leads an ace of decent pitchers, such as him and Robbie Ray and Seed and Mats. 
they can be a legit threat. And if the Yankees lose out on the division by one or two, you'll look back in April and see some of these one run losses, which by the way, the Yankees are over three in said, said game. So it's not something that you really want to take a look at and be proud of. But again, it's still very early in the season. And as Tom said, the Yankees are going to explode later on. And when you look at the American league teams down, down the order, there is no, there really aren't too many teams that I'm scared of. And I think the Yankees should eventually turn things around. But anyways, let's go to some of the more comp, some more comments. Cole Fitzgerald asked, what do you think was the downfall of the Yankees in the road? I think there were a number of things. First of all, over-reliance of Garrett Cole could be a problem. I think obviously having having guys like Tyon and Kluber start off poorly wasn't great, but I think another problem was their inability to hit with runners in scoring position. As I said, the Yankees are 0 for 3 in one-run games, and in a lot of these one-run games, there were opportunities where they could have scored more runs, but of course they couldn't. So I, I think really it goes hand-in-hand hand the more you, I think about it. And we got another comment from David Guyette. Hi, from Johnstown, New York. How's it going, David? Thank you for tuning in. But anyways, that's pretty much my opinion about the Yankees. They're three and a half games out of first place that can easily be made up over the course of the season. But now let's talk about our neighbors from Queens in New York Mets. Now, the Mets had another interesting week to start out the season. I mean, Obviously, we talked about the first game of their homestand last week. They had that controversial home opener win where Michael Conforto blatantly leaned in, getting hit by a pitch. And as David says, Yankees, yeah, I agree. They definitely need to start hitting. Where Michael Conforto leaned into a pitch and with the bases loaded to give the Mets a win that they probably didn't deserve. But at the same time, they still tied the game before that. So who knows? But in the second game, let me give you J- Jacob DeGrom's line on this game. If you had told me before the game, and this isn't me looking at anything else, that he was going to throw eight innings, only give up five hits, one earned run, no walks, 14 strikeouts, and have an ERA of 0.64 to start the season, would you think that this guy had lost, had won a game at all? I would. But unfortunately, this guy doesn't get enough run support. The Mets did not score one for run for him in this game. And as I said in my last show, I really feel bad for this guy. He has been one. I would even argue that he is the best pitcher in the major leagues. And I think he definitely deserves better. But fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you want to look at it for the Mets, game three against Miami got rained out. It'll be made up in late August for a doubleheader. And then they had another game that got rained out on Monday where that game had to be made up on Tuesday. They'll be playing. They played a seven inning doubleheader against the Phillies. And this one was pretty eventful. Don Smith would hit a home run early on to give them a two nothing lead. And Taiwan Walker would pitch pretty well over four and a third innings. But of course he got into a little bit of trouble. He allowed runners on first and third and he was pulled in favor of Miguel Castro and Castro did well in finishing the fifth inning. He struck out Andrew McCutcheon swinging and during a Reese Hoskins at bat, James McCann would throw out Roman Quinn attempting to take the throw on a double steal because he overslid the base. The Phillies, though, of course, would not go away quietly. He had runners at the corners in the sixth inning, and Gene Segura would beat out an infield hit with two outs that enabled the Phillies to tie the game. Neither team would go further, so that would mean they would have to go into extra innings, in this case, the eighth inning, tied at two, 
Phillies would take the lead. Didi Gregorius with two outs, runner on first and second. A pass ball happened, and he so he would hit an infield single, driving in that run to give the Phillies the lead. And it looked like it was a good game for the Phillies. But then you remember, it's the extra innings, and you know the stupid runner on second base rule. The Mets would go into that inning with the ghost runner, and Pete Alonzo immediately tied the game with an RBI single. And then the bases would end up being loaded. A ground ball was hit to D. Gorris, but he was unable to field it. And so that left it up to Jonathan Villar to hit the game-winning single, and it would give the Mets a 4-3 to victory in game one of the doubleheader. And then in game two, Marcus Stroman was absolutely dominant. Six shutout innings coupled with a two-RBI single from Brandon Nimmo. It would leave the Mets to a 4 nothing victory. And believe it or not, this victory actually put the Mets in their first place. Now, technically, they, had played, they hadn't played the same amount of games with the Phillies. The Mets had played seven compared to the Phillies, too. But by virtue of percentage points, with the Mets being four and three, and because of the division, the NL East hasn't gotten off to a slow start, it put the Mets in first place. And the Mets would stay there the next day as David Pitt Peterson rebounded from his his not-so-great first start in Philadelphia. He only allowed three hits in one run over six innings, and James McCann would hit his first home run of the season. This would get the Mets to a 5-1 to victory. And unfortunately today, neither New York team got to play on Jackie Robinson Day because the weather outside right now, it's not so great. However, looking at the Mets right now, they – needed a good home stand to start off the season. And I think the, I think really it helped them to win in the row because, you know, the Mets are a team that are going to, is going to be dealing with a lot of challenges. I think Washington and Atlanta are definitely going to be heating up. And I think the Phillies could very well be a sneaky team. And we got some comments right here. My Erica Feidner. How's it going, Erica? Hi from New York. I'm happy to see your show. Totally engage you. Thank you so much, Erica. And Thank you again, Erica. You you're the best. And let's see what my let's see what Tom from Review and Preview has to say. The Mets are the most dysfunctional five and three team that somehow sits in first place. They need to score from Jake somehow. I mean, dysfunctional five and three sounds like an oxymoron, but when you put it that way, with the fact that um, with the fact that Jacob Degrom hasn't been able to get enough run support, I think dysfunctional five and three team makes sense. And um, I honestly hope for your sake that he gets more run support because like I said, this guy deserves better. He should have more wins right now, but you know, it is what it is. And speaking of NL rivals, James Pratt asked this question, how legit are the Phillies? Um, that's a good question. I think the lineup for the Phillies is pretty good. You got Bryce Harper, you got Didi Gregorius and JT Real Muto to lead them. And that, that team can be pretty dangerous on any given night. Pitching's pretty solid. Zach Wheeler has signs that he can be good. Aaron Noll is probably the best thing they have to an ace, but bullpen's still a little bit of a concern, although they do have Archie Brad they do have Archie Bradley and um Alvarado from the Rays. So I think the bullpen I think the Phillies will definitely be better this year. I just don't know if they have enough to compete with teams such as the Mets and the Nationals and and the Braves if they start playing better. But anyways. Dom Danielli asked this question. Do you think the Yankees are regretting not bringing back Didi? Oh, Dom, that, that one really hurts. I think Didi Gregorius, as you know, is one of my favorite guys on the team, or was one of my favorite Yankees so far. And 
honestly, I would have loved to have had him back. And to be honest, I think he, I think they should have kept him because you look at the Yankees lineup right now, it's way too right-handed heavy and that will come back to hurt them in the playoffs. And I think you put Didi in that lineup, it gives them a good mix. And also you could give Labor Torres a day off or switch him if need be, because honestly, I would prefer to have Didi at shortstop because Glaber is a guy that is having trouble fielding there and not one of the best. So, yeah. And and not to mention, Didi is a guy who is a good leader in that locker room too. I think really the players as a whole missed him. So, Dom, I absolutely agree with that comment. I, I miss him a lot. But let me stop fanboying over Didi for a moment and get to David Guyatt's comment. I'm confident the Yankees will come around and start winning They will win the division. There are a lot of baseball left. Will they win the division? Possibly. I think there's a 50-50 shot at that. I I mean, as I said, you look at the Red Sox right now, starting off 9-4, and that lineup is insanely good. And then, of course, you have uh, the Blue Jays and the Rays. Those two can can give you nightmares on any given moment. But at the very least, the Yankees should be a wildcard team. So I agree with that, David. And my sister goes, who's the best rookie so far this year? That's a tough question because I haven't really seen too many. So far, I haven't really seen enough from a lot of these rookies. I mean, it's early in the in the season, but thank you. Thank you, Ivy, for that comment. Great comment from my sister there. And um, some of my key takeaways, by the way, from the MLB. Sunday night's game between the Braves and the Phillies was a crazy game. Went back and forth. The ninth inning, though, was where you had some controversy. There was a sacrifice fly was hitting the left field. Alec Bohm was the runner on third. It appeared that he had it appeared that he was out on the throw from left to home plate, but unfortunately, despite the replay, they called him safe. And I'm gonna be honest, this game did not leave a really good taste in my mouth because one of the things that I liked about replay is they get a lot of calls right and, and they will fix a lot of the calls that are blatantly obviously wrong when the umpires call it, but Here's my thing with the replay. If you're gonna if you're gonna have a base replay system, every call needs to be right. Like this has to be perfect because one of the things that everyone complains about about baseball is that it's a long na- game that goes too slowly, and you know you want to have calls right too. But like the fact that you have stuff like that happening, it's it's not really good, and it's something that really MLB needs to do better at. And you know the Phillies def- obviously needed that win because they would have been swept by the Braves, but it's. It is what it is. It stinks. However, the big news that happened this past week were two no-hitters. One from the first one happened on Friday. Joe Musgrove of the San Diego Padres threw the first ever no-hitter in franchise history, if you could believe that. And he only allowed one base runner, which is a hit-by-pitch. And this will obviously get some for the next guy. And that was a pretty good story for Joe Musgrove. He was the first. He's a San Diego native and for him to be able to be on that mound to throw the first ever no-hitter for the San Diego Padres, I think that's a really nice, feel-good story. So I'm I'm happy for him right there. And now we get to the White Sox-Indian series, and that series had some really good pitching. There was one game, you had a classic pitcher's duel between Lucas Giolito and the reigning AL Cy Young Award winner and Shane Bieber. Both of them were absolutely lights out. Neither allowed a run. But going in, and I have a feeling that this is one of those games that probably could have, you know, gone on longer had had there not been the silly bit runner on second base rule and in extra innings. Because and it was in the 10th where Roberto Perez hit that big single to 
take the lead, and we'll get to him soon. And it gave the Indians a, t- a 2 nothing win with Bieber throwing what would have been a complete game on a normal day. And uh, we got some more comments here. I think the Mets will fall apart and end up in last place. No way. I Interesting take right there, but I think the Mets lineup has too much talent. You got Francisco Lindor, Michael Conforto, Brandon Nimmo, Dom Smith, Pete Alonzo. I, I can't see that team, especially with the pitching they have, is because you still have Stroman, DeGrom, and Thor if he comes – well, actually, not if. When he comes back from Tommy John surgery, will still be a force in this league. And, yeah, I agree, Tom. Definitely not last place. Major League Baseball is thinking about moving the p- pitching mound back. Good idea or no? Honestly, I don't really know what the big deal about moving the pitching mound is. Like, I, it's. I think it's only. I really don't get this rule. I really don't really see see why this is a big deal. I. It's it's one of those rules where I'd say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I got to look more into this, but it's definitely one that I'm not very keen on for sure. Interesting comments, by the way, David. Thank you so much for tuning in and. Um, we got another comment here from uh, Lisa Fitzgerald. Should Perez have avoided the hit by pitch to, com- to keep the perfect game alive? Glad you asked that, Lisa. Um, so I was about to get to that game, actually. Carlos Rodon, first 25 batters, did not reach base. And as I mentioned, Roberto Perez, the same guy who got the game-winning hit in that classic 10-inning shutout, he got hit by a pitch. And as he was going to first base, a lot of those guys booed him as he was going to first to first trying to get on. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring it up, Lisa, because I think that I don't think he was at a point where he needed to try to keep the game alive because he was in the batter's box and he wasn't necessarily. And unlike Michael Conforto in the Mets home opener, he wasn't really doing anything that would be considered cheating. And he wasn't necessarily trying to like, you know, lean in and, and break the rules. So, he was so to be honest, I think the, this is a lot of overreaction to the White Sox. You, you could certainly make the case that he could have avoided the hit by pitch just to like, you know, keep the perfect game alive. And I, I certainly would get why he would wouldn't want to like try to avoid it. But like at the same time, unlike Michael Conforto, Perez really didn't do anything wrong. He was he he was still he wasn't interfering at all in the batter's box. So I think he def. I think he's off the hook in this case, and I think Lucas Giolito. It as much as it stinks, he still got the no hitter. So it was definitely one of the best pitch games of the seasons. And I'm going to give you guys a fun fact. Actually, three of the last four hitters that have been thrown in Major League Baseball have come from Chicago pitchers. 2020, you had Luke or 2020, you had Lucas Giolito throwing the no hitter. And then Cubs rookie Alec Mills threw one. And then this year we obviously had Musgrove and Rodon throwing the header. And one of the best and Rodon had a good story too, because he he sat out most of 2019. In May that year, he had to have surgery on his elbow for Tommy John, which as most pitchers know, is never one of those injuries that you want to hear about. And they all it, it's always the possibility of like altering a career. But he bounced back in 2020, he made a few starts, and this was this was a real prove it year for him. And so far, I think I think it was it took a lot of guts for Tony LaRusso to keep him out there for so long, despite throwing like over a hundred pitches, because 
in this day and age, we know a lot of pitchers are very careful about the innings limits and for him, for him to throw that, to be able to throw for so long and able to get that no hitter. I think it was big. And I think it's a really good feel good story. And the white Sox, as I mentioned, are one of those teams that have a lot of potential to possibly be good and win the world. Well, maybe win the world series with that young core that they have. So I'm hoping he can sustain this, this kind of dominance. And I'm, I think the no hitter was definitely a great story and it was amazing. I just wish obviously the one guy that got on wasn't a hit by hit by pitch, but then again, that happened to happen to Musgrove in the Padres game. So that's baseball for, for you. More takeaways that I have. Astros, obviously at, since I praise them a lot, begrudgingly, of course, because, you know, I'm still not quite over the whole incident they had. Astros obviously were in a bit of a slide, so they got swept by the Tigers and the Angels. Obviously, they they'd been winning a lot, but unfortunately, they are on a bit of a losing streak. They lost a few tough games to the Royals. I don't know if the White Sox are necessarily a team, or not the White Sox. The Angels are a team that will be for real and can sustain this because they don't quite have the depth with pitching. And although their lineup is really good and they're dealing with a lot of injuries as it is, but I'm hoping that the Angels can stay, can save in the hunt for it. And I obviously, I would really hope that they can overtake the Houston Astros for this division. And anyways, I talked a little bit about this team before and Ben Cruz will be on shortly to discuss them, but I want to talk about the Boston Red Sox for a second because I haven't really gotten to discuss them much before in the previous episodes. Boston started off 0-3. You remember last year, they were in last place start in the pandemic-shortened season. And remember, even before that, there was not a lot of optimism in Boston because they had just traded their superstar in Mookie Betts to the Los Angeles Dodgers for Alex Verdugo and a prospect by the name of Peter Downs, which obviously, if you're a Yankees fan, you know the the irony isn't really lost there. So Boston hasn't gotten off to the best best of start. And obviously, at 0-3, people are thinking, is this team for real? And, you know, and let's get to a comment for David, Ga- David Guyette. LeBron James is talking about trying to play baseball. I mean, Michael Jordan wasn't too bad at it, but I would agree, David, keep your, keep your job at basketball. So obviously we know they're 0-3. And then obviously a funny thing happens. They go to Tampa, they win that series three straight, and, and they go back to Baltimore and they win three in a row. The big highlight of that series, of course, was J.D. Martinez. He had three home runs, keying a big big victory for the Sox, and then they go to Minnesota, take three out of four. And to talk more about that, we will be bringing on our guest to the show, Ben Cruz. Ben, how's it going? How you doing, Hank? I'm doing pretty good, and you must you must be pretty ecstatic right now. I see you got your American League Champions 2018 shirt on there. Yes, sir. Yep. So um, I got to ask you, what was your realist? What were your realistic thoughts about the Red Sox going into the season? Because we know 2020, you had the horrible pandemic shortened year where like you traded Mookie, you had to get rid of their manager, Alex Cora, because he was associated with the Astros and their cheating scandal, but then you get him back. So did, did you think maybe things were going to improve a little bit? Yeah. I mean, uh, I know last year was obviously a really rough one for anybody as a Red Sox fan. Uh, you know, 
I feel bad for Ron Renneke because I thought that, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of pieces around him that really were to make it successful for him. So I really thought that, uh, they, you know, they had a bunch of holes in their, not only in their lineup, but in their pitching staff, they really had nothing. You know, they had no sale. They had no, of course, no Eduardo Rodriguez because he had COVID. So he was basically out of the mix. You basically had to rely on guys like Martin Perez uh, and some other guys. And, you know, obviously there was just not a lot of pitching uh, for options and stuff like that. So it was a rough one. It was a tough go. I know that if we had some fans last year, it was going to probably be very, very, uh, you know, a rough one over at Fenway. But, uh, you know, I know with Cora coming back, I know this past offseason I was really hoping he would. I know some people didn't because of the cheating, you know, and all that stuff in the past. But uh, I really like that he brings, you know, the culture over. Obviously, the 2018 was big with him, too. And you just think the players are going to start to buy in. And right now, uh, let's just say I'm a little surprised. I, 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 I'm definitely, uh, you know, I know that, I know that they uh, lost today. I didn't watch it because I was working. But um, it, it's been good so far. I know it's early on. You know, they, they don't say, you know, the, the, the results don't happen in April. They happen by October, September, stuff like that. So, you know, things could change. But I really like how they're, you know, playing so far and obviously hoping that they can keep on doing and, you know, playing hard. So. I think – I didn't really get to see much of it, but I saw that they were down early 3 nothing against former Yankee – well, I should say infamous Yankee Michael Canada because obviously you remember. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Fine I think school. that was I think that was at Fenway too. That I, I, I remember that. Yes, yeah, it was. So. It was a week after he. It was a week after he got seen doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I think you'd have learned yeah. from that. But yeah. um, yeah, they were down three nothing, and I think they tied it in the eighth. I know Verdugo got a clutch hit, and I'm going to get to Verdugo in a second. But unfortunately, another former Yankee who, who before the season, I kind of didn't really understand giving him up in a salary dump. Adam Ottavino gave up a run in the tenth inning, but. From what I understand, and this is based off of what I read from Carabas, who I follow on Barstool. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with this. I'm sure you probably yeah. are. He, I think he said something like the Red Sox were keeping their best bullpen guys like in rest, which makes sense because Alex Cora, it seems to me, like knows how to like manage a bullpen and knows how to like keep the, like do well in Boston because I know he was a player for them in 07, and he obviously won a World Series 11 years later. What would would you say talk, – talk to me. What do you think the, his impact is on the Red Sox? It's a lot of things. Uh, we have a bunch of Dominican players on the team. So, uh, obviously, he loves Xander Bogarts, Rafi Devers, two of our, ba- our best offensive players. So, obviously, he has a lot of that. He's also trying to learn about some other guys. Uh, some of the new players that they brought in, like uh, Kike Hernandez and Marvin Gonzalez, were two guys that he was with down in Puerto Rico. So, there's a connection there. Uh, you know, Oxford Dugo, I know that uh, for me personally, I, I hated losing Mookie. I still won't forget oh. about it. But um, the consolation prize, Oxford Dugo, man, he's been a lot of fun to watch. The energy that he brings on a daily basis. Obviously, he made an incredible catch yesterday to win a game for us as well. So just the little things. Of course, his offense, I think, will get better and better. I, I think that, you know, um, like for Dugo and Kike Hernandez, two guys that the Dodgers – uh, really loved, you know, the last couple of years. I think that them coming to Boston was huge because I think that we needed kind of an energy boost, especially after a tough year like last year. So um, I think Core does a lot of things. And I think also the buying in aspect, at least so far, has been awesome. 
to kind of just see, you know, he basically sees a lot of these younger guys and he definitely, you know, every single time that he is out there for a game day, you know, he'll tell the guys, you know, let's play, let's get going. And uh, I think the competition level has been a lot better this year than it was last year. Oh, definitely. I completely agree with that. And, you know, it's funny going into the season, I, I actually didn't necessarily underestimate the Red Sox as much as a lot of people. Now, granted, obviously being a Yankee fan, I wasn't going to go out and tell you, Oh, they're going to win the division. No. Yeah. I don't think even you thought that was realistic possible. No. Season. No. But with that being said, I thought they would be in at least third because even from last year, I knew that they had the offense that's capable of doing. Di- I, I, I feel weird saying this because I know it was your slogan a few years ago, doing damage on any chip night. So I, and I I agree with you about Alex Cora. I think, Mm. I think the, the fact that he can speak the language of a lot of these players is more important than a lot of people realize. And it shows you that he's really good at communicating with these guys. And it's something that a lot of people really need. Now, obviously the reason that I had the Red Sox being better was because of the offense. We, we know Bogart's endeavors are good. The additions of Marwin Gonzalez and Kike, while like not big, like they're guys that like can slap the ball and get clutch yep. hits at a given moment. And of course, I mean Alex Verdugo, I think as much as people looked at the Mookie Betts trade as like, you know, a sacrilege because he was the face of your franchise. Absolutely. I played a little bit of devil. I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie, I played a little bit of devil's advocate because Alex Verdugo had a good year with the Dodgers in the one year mm-hmm. he was there. And He's the guy that looks like a typical Fenway hitter. He had let's take let me take a look at his stats for you real quick. I believe he had a 308 batting average last year. Yeah, he was our best hitter by far. Home runs, 15 RBIs. Again, that's this is kind of a small sample size, but if if this was a normal season, I would imagine he probably would have kept that average around the same and probably would have been a spray hitter with that big wall and left field in place. So and also not to mention there's that there's that prospect you have by the name of Jeter Downs in the minor leagues, who I hear is one of the highly rated guys. So I really think the trade, whether the Red Sox really lose that trade or not, I think that hinges on whether Jeter Downs does well. And so not to mention, not to mention you would have had to pay a lot of money to keep Mookie there anyway. So that's kind of why I played devil's advocate. And I don't think the Red Sox necessarily lost that trade. Now, what are, you, what are your thoughts on this first before I ask my next question? Yeah, I think our youth's getting a lot better, um, at least for this year. Uh, Tanner Houck, I don't know if you've seen him pitch already, but uh, his stuff is just incredible. Uh, he pitched, a, I know, it's, uh, a game against the Yankees last year. I know you know, we were kind of out of the postseason or any type of you know consideration mix, but just to see guys like him, Nick Pavetta, who – we got from the Brandon Workman uh, type of trade. I thought Pavetta's actually fit, been pitching pretty well for us. Uh, and, you know, there was kind of talks about how he gave a lot of home runs and stuff. But so far, so good on that. Um, yeah, I like Jeter Downs a lot. But the one guy I want to see that's been impressive so far is Jaron Durant. Uh, this guy's just an absolute force. He's from AAA. I mean, uh, I know the Worcester uh, Red Sox, obviously, now because now they're, they moved on from Paul Tuckett. But they're going to have a very good roster, I think, you know, this year because the Red Sox have already, you know, Bobby Dahlbeck's been up now. Now he's going to be our starting first baseman for the future. I mean, I, I like Bobby. You know, I think that he just has to, you know, call him the strikeouts. And I think that the time will come. But he's, he's a very good stroke with the plate. Definitely knows what he's doing a lot of the time. And, um, yeah, I know it's not to lose Mookie, but I think in terms of our long run, 
I definitely, you know, hurt could have might have hurt the, the short term, but the long term, I think it definitely is very impactful. Yeah, I would agree. And trust me, as a Yankee fan, you know, I know a thing or two about Albatross contracts. Like A Rod, as, as good as he was, and as much as that contract helped in the short term, we know it, we knew by the end it was time to go. And yeah. obviously, I'm afraid to even think about what John Carl, what's going to happen with John Carl Stan, because that, that's, that, that, <laughs> To say that's an albacross isn't even doing that term. Yeah. And don't and don't even get me started about Jacoby Ellsbury. I I told oh, you yeah. could have told you from day one that that was a bad idea. And before I get to my next question, let's get to a comment here. James Pratt, another fellow Red Sox fan, by the way, asked, "How much has video has in game video helped JD Martinez?" That's a good question. I've heard. I hear that he really studies his swing a lot with like looking at film too. Yeah, it's it's been incredible. I, I think that JD Martinez, you know, pe- people can say, oh, you know, video and stuff, you know, technically cheating, but really it isn't. I think that it's a good way, at least for different types of players. But JD Martinez, when he looks at his swing, he wants to see it personally and visually. I know some players are kind of different, but it's definitely helped him a lot this year. I mean, he's, he's been on a roll. He's been a little on the cooler side lately here, but, um, you know, his stroke, you know, going in the opposite field. Uh, you know, he's sitting he's sit with force and the power. I think with Cora back as well, you know, he could definitely teach him some things here and there, especially in 2018, the World Series one that we had. He was incredible. Uh, so uh, in terms of James's question, I think that it's helped quite a bit. And I think that uh, for the rest of the year, he's going to have a huge year. Yeah, you know, I think. I think that's actually a smart approach because like he, he sees a bat at bat and he wants to like, work on how to better himself. Actually, I'm, if I'm going to be honest with you, I kind of wish more of my Yankee hitters would do the same thing because they're <laughs> such a they're such a feast or famine home run team that I know inevitably, as much as I want to see them do well this season, they're going to be wrong. They could be a threat. I, I know very well that that could very well be the yeah. downfall come October should they end up not making it to the World Series. And uh, so we talked a lot, a lot about the hitting. Let's talk about the pitching for a bit. So the ERA during the, during the win streak is – has been pretty solid, and uh, we got a comment from Tom too. What's going on, Tom? Hope nice little, well. nice little NBC Sports reunion there. Yeah. <laughs> so the ERA of the Red Sox during the streak was three nineteen, and that's pretty solid. And obviously, we know it's it exceeded expectations because the narrative on the Red Sox was the pitching isn't good enough. But if you look at Nick Nick Pavetta, Erod, and Yavaldi have been pretty solid. And we know they're they're working Erod back into the rotation. And you told me about Tanner Houck. He seems like a pretty solid guy. I'm obviously I'm going to probably know more about him once I see them play the Yankees in the future. But um, t- tell me, do you think their pitching over the course of the season can be sustained? It'll be tough. You know, it's it's obviously been a great story so far. Uh, you know, they obviously when you get Sale back, you know, he's he, I don't, I'm not expecting a whole lot from him because he just had Tommy John. Uh, but I think Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, at least the first couple starts, uh, his velocity hasn't gone up to where it has been. But in terms of his command and his stuff, I mean, it's still, you know, the stuff that I know about. So evaldi uh, has been great. You know, his obviously the biggest thing about Evaldi is he has to stay healthy. Uh, you know, obviously, if he doesn't stay healthy, we're in trouble on, on our rotation. But, uh, you know, Martin Perez, I thought last year, kind of in a really tough year on our rotation. I thought that he did okay. And now for him to be our number four or five, I think that's that's fine. If, you know, he can give us at least five, six innings. And that's the biggest thing I, I was coming into this year was we needed to get a pitching staff that at least can get us deep in, at least 
a little bit deep into games because last year we'd be down in the second inning like seven to two, seven one. It just it wouldn't even be competitive. And I know that this year, at least so far in a short sample size, not only that we've been competitive with the bats, but our pitching staff's been able to have us keep into games, which has been big, especially with this series against Minnesota. I mean, heck, they were one of the best offensive teams, you know, with Sano, Cruz, Polanco, Donaldson. And I thought that our pitching staff, for the most part, you know, shut them down overall, which I think is a really good, you know, because we, you know, obviously we beat the Orioles. I know that the first weekend was a disaster. But uh, ever since then, I thought, I think it's been fine. You know, obviously the nine-game winning streak until today. But, um, you know, in terms of your, terms of your question, I think the rotation has been going to be a surprise to a lot of people. But I, I still think that, it, you know, it needs a ton of work. Yeah, Yavaldi's a guy who went healthy. I know he can be really dangerous, and trust me, I've seen that with the Yankees. And I'm going to be yeah. honest, he was a guy I pretty much always liked too. I personally, I thought the Yankees really did him dirty because I he had that Tommy John surgery, and I really think that year that was, I think, the year that we had the wild card year. I think they were behind the Blue Jays. If I remember yeah, correctly. I think he so. Yeah, I think you're September. Right. They really could have used him down the stretch that season, and then. And then they just like let him go for free, so somebody could pick him up. I really think, I think Cashman definitely screwed up right there, especially mm-hmm. when you look at 2018 and they and when they were pitcher short. Instead of in an alternate universe, I'd like to think that the Yankees could have somehow gotten him up on the cheap instead of picking up J.A. Happ. But oh well, right. that's an issue for another day. And lastly, let's talk about the Red Sox over the course of the rest of to the season. Yeah. Do you see them as being a legitimate like contender for like for at the very least the wild card like the way this goes? Uh you know, before this season I had them, you know, right at low eighty to eighty-five win type of team. Uh I have them probably on the fringe of making a wild card, but they might be a little bit better than I expected, at least for now. I know it's early, so obviously, you know. People can't just ride ship and be like, oh, you know, they're, they're playing. Obviously, they've been playing great, and, I get, and I'm very happy about it because as a Red Sox fan, of course, last year was brutal. So anything better than last year, I'll take. Um, so, um, but I still have them, you know, right at 80-85. I think we're going to be a very sneaky team, though. I think that, you know, we're not going to be backing down from anybody. And in terms of last year, we would be, you know, second, third inning would be out, you know, just out of the game. You know, we wouldn't be competitive. But this year, at least so far, and I think that, it's a good measuring stick, at least. I think we're going to be a very competitive team. I think with Cora back, we have at least a manageable pitching staff, I think. Uh, I don't think great, but nothing uh, – you know, it's definitely a lot better than it has been. And then our batch, I think – you know, I think our offense should be fine. You know, Devers, Xander, not too worried about J.D. at all uh, either. I think Dahlback, you know, the bottom of the order, we're all also having some guys like Christian Arroyo. He's been doing well. Uh, obviously Verdugo, and I think KK will get a lot better over the course of the year. So um, my expectations, I think, are still pretty, you know, right around the 80 mark. Uh, I'm not expecting anything past, and obviously that's a bonus if we if we can get that. But, uh, you know, I think it's a sneaky team. I, I, re- I really do think that we have some capabilities in terms of not only this year, but down the road, I think we'll get a lot better. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Now I didn't even mention Chris Sale. I think he's. We know he's yeah. still recovering from Tommy John. When do you think he? When do you anticipate him being back? I think he'll be back at least between June or July. Uh, you know the timetable. I've see, I've heard like you know things via Twitter and stuff around, but uh, that he's been throwing at Fenway. You know at least just you know he's been around the team. 
So I, the, this the biggest thing is how he's going to be when he returns. I'm not expecting a whole lot. And if he can be Chris Sale of old, you know, at least give you five, six innings of five, six strikeouts, I'll take it. You know, at least that'll be that'll be good. You know, obviously my dream rotation, at least by the summer, is Sale, Erod, Evaldi. Uh, hopefully, Hauk. I'm not a big Garrett Richards guy. You know, in terms of signing, it's it's kind of, you know, with you guys getting Kluber and Tyone, that was kind of like us. You know, one year, ten mil. You know, I know he pitched today, um, went kind of four innings or whatever. But obviously, he's I think that's the. To speak. Yeah, he's just one of those guys that he's had arm problems in the past. You know, just what kind of one of those risks. I like Pavetta personally more over him, uh, but. In terms of, like, arms, though, you know, we have a bunch of arms that we can go to. I think our bullpen's been a lot better, too. That was the biggest question uh, coming into yeah. this year, at least for me. Uh, Matt Barnes is just looked like a totally different pitcher. Every single time when I saw him pitch last year, the year before, like, I would be jumping. I would be having my, you know, doing this the whole entire time because, like, he would be getting so wild early. And, you know, this year, it just, for whatever reason, it's clicked on at least so far, and I haven't had to worry much about him. Uh, Vino, I know that, you know, he kind of had a tough one today, but, you know, he's had some tough ones the first couple games. But at least the stuff we think's okay. The one guy I like that we got from you guys is Garrett Whitlock. Uh, he, he's been a lot of fun to watch, and uh, he, he's, he's definitely somebody I like. And then Saramura we got from Japan, I think it's been awesome as well. So we have some guys, I think, so far that uh, have been uh, some surprisements, but we'll see how they can do the rest of the way because, of course, it's still early on. <laughs> True that, true that. Let me get to these last two comments here. Adam Rothschild, a good friend of mine, Red Sox. (laughs) (laughs) Adam, I know you and I are on the same page in terms of baseball, but you also know that I try to be fair and objective and want to get his take. And like I said, I personally think the Red Sox are more dangerous than people realize. I, I said this before the season too, so this isn't just me saying that now that the Red Sox are on a win streak. So I pretty much agree with a lot of what Ben was saying here. And <laughs> well, Adam, to be honest, we need pitching. We need more than just Garrett Cole for, for our own team to do well, just, just to put it out there, but no. <laughs> yeah. I think we all know, like, yeah, if you're going to win, ch- pitching wins championships. I know it sounds cliche. Well, yeah. you need a good lineup too. You need a, a pitching rotation to be stable enough to win the division. Uh, or not just to win the division, to at least compete for a division, for something like that. You know, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, you, uh, the the biggest thing is by the summer we'll kind of see where our teams are at, especially because we played division so many times right around that summer area. So uh, we'll have to see. You know, this coming weekend we have a tough one. We got the White Sox in town. They're I think a very legit team. Got some really good pitching over there. Obviously, we're done through that no-no. Uh, yesterday, which was a lot of fun to watch. Thought the perfect game was right there, but obviously he he bought, he hit a guy right at the end. But, uh, you know, we have the White Sox coming to town. Then we have the Blue Jays. The Blues obviously took a couple games from you guys. Uh, they have a, I think the Blues are a very sneaky, really good team this year. I just think that they're pitching. Besides for you, um, streaks in April, don't worry, man. No. Well, that's the biggest thing in terms of, I think the, the Red Sox, though, because you look at the Yankees, you know, they're going to be right up there at the top, the Blue Jays, the Rays. But, you know, as a Red Sox and myself, you know, getting at least to a good start so far has been good because I don't think a lot of people are giving us in terms of much of a chance uh, to really do anything. So, 
at least so far so good. But obviously, you know, there's plenty of season left. You know, obviously we're going to have our downs. You know, we've had a lot of more ups and downs so far. But obviously no one, at least myself being realistic, we'll have our downs. But we'll see how things go. And, uh, you know, I'm at least very, very invested into this team. Uh, you know, in terms of last year, I was very out of it by, you know, the summertime. But, of course, I want my Red Sox. So I'll watch game by game when I can. <laughs> yeah, of course. And um, before I sat out, before I sent out, let me uh, look at James' comment. Great comment. Thank you, thank you for tuning in, James. Thanks. I really thank appreciate you, it. people like you and and Adam Rothschild t- tuning in to listen to us talk. And um, before I before I end the show, I just want to say, I said when I talked about the Yankees that like, while yes, the five and seven streak can be bad and it is too early, and they can start turning around. You can also look at it the other way. If if by if God forbid the Yankees lose out on the division, then you look at that early start and especially the oh, the three one run losses, those could really come back to hurt the Yankees. Whereas you look at the Red Sox, if they end up doing well, then that win and going to the playoffs, then that win streak is going to be a, a big part of it. April bit April baseball matters more than you think. And with that being said, that'll wrap it up for our show this week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and commenting. You, you guys who commented are just as much a reason as to why the show is great. Great. So I appreciate it very much. Ben, thank you again for coming on and sharing your insight about the Red Sox. Folks, before Thanks I go. Thank, yeah, thank you again. Folks, before we go, remember, ch- give us a follow on all our forms of social media and please give a subscribe on YouTube at Review and Freeview Sports. And until next week, this is Hank and Dichter of, Re- of Hidden for the Cycle signing off. <laughs>